1: Hey, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Winners Ways podcast. And guys, today we have a special guest. Uh, We have Joe DeSanto uh, on the show with us today. Uh, Joe is the owner of uh, Play Louder. He's an authority blogger and he's a member of uh, the Forbes uh, Finance Council. I'm going to let Joe, I'll bring him in shortly so he can introduce himself to you guys so you can know him better. You are going to be uh, thrilled uh, by what we are going to be talking about today because Joe and I, we are going to uh, talk about budgeting, uh, personal finance planning, and uh, we'll talk about retirement And um, for those of you that want to uh, start a business, Joe is going to share some insights with us as well. Hey, Joe, what's up, man? Hey, Bola, how are you,
0: man? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: Awesome. So, yeah, um, it's good to have you on the show with us today. And uh, as I always like to do, I want my guests to tell my audience about themselves. So, Uh, If you don't mind, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? uh, Sure, sure.
0: Well, Joe DeSanto, as you mentioned. Um, So these days, uh, I am both a blogger, I guess, and a uh, fractional CFO or business consultant. So, um, But previous to what I've been doing in the last three years, um, I own some businesses in Los Angeles production and post-production businesses, which I, I know, started with uh, my partners at the time back in 2006. So I did that for, uh, about 12 years and that was the, you know, the, the, the main chunk of my career, I guess really happened in Los Angeles. I was in, I was in LA for about 20 years and then essentially left LA really, uh, not because things weren't going good or I didn't enjoy it, but my wife and I finally had a child. And in the first three years of that, you know, we we kind of realized that children take a lot of time as it turns out. Yeah. I didn't, didn't know that. guess. But uh, yeah. So in the first few years, you know, we were doing our normal thing and, all, and the businesses and everything. And it just, you know, we, we were just like really having a hard time both, like enjoying doing the parenting well, enjoying it. And also like meeting the demands of business and all that. So, I mean, plenty of people do that and it's not a problem, but we luckily, because of our, I get, I like to say financial prudency, but you know, my, my passion, personal finance and investing and things like that, you know, we had really worked hard to prepare um, for our future and it went well. And it basically afforded us the opportunity to, kind of restructure our life a little bit, work less, kind of enter like into a semi-retired state so that we could have more family time and, and live a less stressful life uh, with our son while he was young. And you know, part of accomplishing that goal uh, was doing what I call retreating to cheaper ground. Uh, we ended up leaving Los Angeles and moved to a less expensive uh, town. We live in Florida now. And lowered our overhead and and uh, essentially put to work some of the, I guess you would say, approach approaches of the, you know, fire movement or financial independence retire early movement um, and entered into this sort of semi-retired state, you know, that I that I call it. Um, and all of that, being able to do that really was accumula, uh, accumulation of Being financially prudent or really putting some thought throughout my life to personal finance and and running the business of me or the business of my wife and I, like our personal financial life, but also being entrepreneurial, owning a business and having that component. And then the third component or pillar, as I like to say, uh, my three pillars to success, the third one being really focusing on investing and understanding both how to invest why you invest and like what actual you know goals and results you need from your investing in order to achieve your long-term financial goals
1: so that's that's good uh yeah. so
0: did that make I, sense i don't know if that made sense but yeah, no, yeah.
1: No, no. <laughs> I, I like that uh, you know when you start breaking stuff down into maybe steps or pillar as you used i always Uh, get uh, uh, thrilled about that. So I know you mentioned financial planning. You said invest. Uh, What are the three pillars? Let's start from there. Yeah,
0: so the three pillars to success, as I like to call Mm -hmm. them. And, And by the way, I should say that, you know, on my website and as a blogger, what I'm doing is edu- you know, being out there to help educate people on these three pillars and what's involved and basically help people or coach people to, to make better financial choices and, and create a system for themselves so that they can reach their goals. Uh, and part of what I teach is this kind of three-pillar approach. And the three pillars are financial prudency or the personal finance pillar, which is basically running the business of you. I like to call it where you actually treat your personal finances like a business. You know, you look at your income and your expenses and your net income or AKA your savings. You, uh, track your finances and computer software, you know, so, <laughs> and not, not just for the point of tracking, but so you can look at the results of how you're doing and actually do analysis, you know, on your finances. And then see how you're performing versus your goals, you know, which essentially would be your budget. So all those things that you would do for a business and like business finances, you kind of apply to your personal life and because I owned a business and i'm i I like being entrepreneurial, you know that's a, that's the analogy that works for me um, But the second pillar is being entrepreneurial or business minded uh, and basically what that means is like potentially trying to start a business, number one, Um, if you can't do that, because not every career kind of lends itself to easily starting a business in the career, maybe you uh, try to be more entrepreneurial in your work as, you know, with your employer, meaning like really making yourself indispensable at your work, uh, such that, you know, the, the day you come in, you know, to get your big raise that you're going to ask for, and you tell your employer, well, if I, if I can't get the money I need, I'm going to have to leave. They're so scared to lose you that they will just give you what you want. <laughs> like you yeah. have to make yourself that indispensable. And I look at that as being entrepreneurial in your job. Like you're, you're, your employer is your one client, you know, uh, you're still the business of you and you really have to make that client love you and want to bring you more work, essentially. Um, But beyond that, if you're not gonna start an actual business that's your full-time endeavor, you could also start a side business or or AKA a side hustle as the kids like to call it today. Um, And not only make more income, but the benefits of starting a business um, are multifold. And one of them is that you get to get more preferential tax treatment as a business owner in America you can deduct so many more things um you can essentially you know make get more money out of the money you're making if you're making it as a business because of the way uh you can take deductions and a variety of other you know tax related things related to being a business owner so you want to kind of get yourself into some version of business ownership so one of course you can make that extra money but two you can actually um even get better, you know, tax treatment, essentially, when you go do tax return. Uh, and then the third pillar is investing and being investing focused. And that's really important, because, you know, it, you know, some people find investing fun, like me, and it's like a hobby, and I would, you know, I would kind of play with it and, and learn about it anyway, because I like it. But Investing is really critical to your long-term personal financial success because it's very unlikely you're going to just save enough money to retire. You're going to get to your retirement, you know, financial destination through the combination of savings and investing those savings so that they grow and compound with you, you know, along your, your working years. And you actually need to get a pretty good return on those investments in order for the system to work pretty well for you, Um, you know, to the tune of seven to 10% compound annual return, at least, you know, hopefully you want to best that. Um, And if you don't understand investing number one and how to do it, what's a good return, but really even why you need to get those returns and what, what those returns need to be you know, you're kind of in the dark there, you know, Mm -hmm. so uh, learning how to invest and understanding the importance it's playing in your financial planning is really critical. And usually investing is for most people are going to end up being one of two things. It's going to be market investing, like stock market, bond market, the basic public markets as they're called, or what I call personally owned real estate, you know. I always liked real estate. That was kind of where I focused all my most of my investing um capital at least in my work more full-time working years. These days I'm actually adjusting my asset allocation because of my new kind of semi-retired state. I have slightly different goals with the investing. Um so I give a lot of advice on my website about real estate investing in particular, but you know, also market investing as well. So That's a lot to kind of take in, especially for someone that's like not into this stuff, I realize. Um, But those three three things working together are really important. It's like figure out how to make more money, the business part to be entrepreneurial, figure out how to track that money and make sure that you actually have a net income or a savings, then figure out how to invest that savings so that your money's growing while you're still, you know, at your day job. essentially.
1: So, uh, Joe, thank you very much uh, for that. That's, that's packed. Um, it's, and, a lot. it's a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. And I think you shared a lot of uh, information.
0: And my wife <laughs> does tell me that sometimes I need to make it more entertaining.
1: So, you know,
0: I admit that. You know. Okay, so <laughs>
1: my my job my job is to break it down, you know, and you know, really, really, uh, make it simpler so that uh, my audience will understand. And you you did a fantastic job with Great. everything you explained, so I liked it. And I think it's simple. You you mentioned the three pillars. The first is, of course, the personal finance uh, planning, uh, making sure that. Uh, you have uh, a net positive income, uh, positive cash flow every month, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you also talked about uh, the having that entrepreneurial uh, mindset, and which I think is core. And the reason why I really want to hone in on that is that many people have this misconception that hey, except if I if I want to uh, start a business, except if I hone a business or create something different. Uh, entirely new, they don't see themselves as entrepreneur. But I like the way you put it, that even if you are working, uh, if you see yourself as an entrepreneur, because if you start thinking that, that like an entrepreneur, uh, your company, they will put more value on you. Uh, you understand how the pr- business operates, you'll be able to contribute uh, positively to the uh, business. So that's important. And you also talk about investing now, no one, maybe I shouldn't say no one, it's not going to be easy to just save money, maybe pack it under your pillow uh, for 20, 30 years and expect it to grow, right? Right. Uh, You said we should now find a way of investing and try to, you know, compound it, maybe 7 to 8% at least uh, every year. Then after so many years, uh, you'll be able to, you know, have some sizable uh, nest eggs. So that's uh, very, very important. Now, the way I want to approach this is, this, um, you know, you talk about personal finance, you talk about business, uh, what is the role of budgets? in all this. And if you, you know, after telling us the role, I want you to, if you know of any budgeting uh, app out there, some people use Excel, some use Mint, Mm -hmm. Uh, anyone that you want to recommend uh, to the audience. uh, Yeah.
0: Well, budgeting to me, like, again, I'm going to keep making an analogy of your personal financial life, running it like a business, right? And your personal budget is like an operating budget for a business, right? So when you have a business, um, and I, like I said, I, I owned a couple businesses, pretty sizable, about 35 employees, I think on average. Um, we had an operating budget, right? So every year we'd be like, okay, like roughly we expect to make this much money. Roughly we expect to spend this much money. This is how much net profit we're gonna roughly make. And this is our basic roadmap for the year. We of course wanna make more money at all costs, and potentially spend less money, but uh, not necessarily just flat spend less money, maybe we spend less uh, percentage per income, right? Right. Um, So that we we end up with a better net profit. And that's like what the owners take home for their, you know, ultimate pay. Mm -hmm. So a personal budget is kind of the same thing. Um, And I I look at everything in an entrepreneurial light. You know what I mean? So, and I think to me that makes it exciting because when you're doing your personal budget, you're like, all right, I'm going to map out, you know, how the business is going to do this year. I'm going to set my goals. um, both from an income perspective, a spending perspective and a net profit or savings perspective. And uh, that's what the personal budget is. You kind of, and I just honestly do it in a spreadsheet um, Mm -hmm. and it's like, this is my income I expect to make this year. If I, you know, maybe I can make more income if I do like a side hustle, this or that. What if I go for a raise, whatever? This is what I expect to spend this year. And at the end of all that, this is what I expect to save. And, you know, that's obviously the most critical thing. Now, the reason I say just do a budget in a spreadsheet is because I don't think you need an app or whatever to do a budget. The 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 budgeting thing is like a roadmap, but it's like kind of just one you know, kind of small step. And honestly, it doesn't even take that much time. What's really important, both in business and in personal, you know, finances is you have a budget, but you know, throughout the year that you're actually sticking to the budget. You know, that's really the most critical thing. And the only reason, the only way you can know that is if you actually track your income and expenses using a program. So, You don't need a budgeting program so much as you need a program to track your income and expenses like throughout the year. I use Quicken for that, you know, and I'm not paid to say that. I've just been using Quicken like for 25 years. And I I think it's the best because I think it's the one that can grow with you the most throughout your life. But there's, you know, it's tons of them, you know, there's Mint, there's Countabout, there's uh, YNAB, YNAB, you know, a bunch. (laughs) Yeah, But I will say that I don't think anyone should track their income and expenses on a notebook or in a spreadsheet or anything like that. Like, even if your life is simple, like I would, I would actually mentor a lot of my like employees and stuff, you know, and one, and I would always say to them, you got to get started using Quicken. Like you're not serious if you're not tracking your finances, you know, and they would say, well, you know, I only have like, I got a credit card, you know, I got my car loan, I got my student loans. (laughs) I, I don't have that much. Do I really need to like use it? A program for that and I'm like no but this is when it's going to be really easy for you to start like this is the time to get in the habit of it because it's so easy like it won't take you any time at all Uh, and once you get in the habit as you grow in your life and you add real estate and you add investing and you you're saving more and you've got things going on and maybe you start a business you're going to be in a great habit to Add those things into your tracking and it's not going to be a big deal. It's not going to be overwhelming. So uh, it's no excuse that you don't have a lot going on. And a lot of people will just be like, you know, I I, I liken it to exercise. I mean, like, I know that it's work and and what have you, but like, we all know exercise is work, right? right? But if you don't exercise, what happens? you get fat and you very likely will die sooner than you would have otherwise. That's just the hard truth. And if you're willing to accept that, you know, that's fine. And the great irony when I say this is that I hate exercising and I will probably die early because of it. So I, I totally get you, you know, a lot of people not wanting to do it, but that's what happens when you don't track your finances. It's like not exercising. So you end up saving less, spending more, probably making less, And you invest less. And basically your overall financial health just suffers because you don't do the work. Right. And and that's what the tracking is. And I'll add a little bit bit to this in that when you do the budget that you mentioned originally, like you really can't do an accurate budget, unless you've done some tracking, like you Mm -hmm. really have to know, like how much is my life? Does it really cost me? Like if you just put arbitrary numbers on a page, that's your budget and you don't know that you can actually stick to that and it's practical and whatever, it's kind of pointless. So you can't, in my opinion, actually do a budget until you've done a little bit of tracking of your finances, at least for a month or two. Mm -hmm. And you see like, you know, just regularly over the, over a couple month period, what did I spend on groceries? What did I spend on this? What did I spend on that? What did I spend on this? Then you can pump that into a budget and be like, okay, you know, I, I see now I spent X number of dollars on groceries. I could do better, you know, maybe if I try. So I think I can trim that. Or I see that I spent $500 eating out last month. Like that was a lot. Like I'm going to put $400 in my budget and I'm going to like work to make sure that I achieve that. But if you just kind of throw arbitrary numbers in a budget and then you don't even track your income and expenses in a computer. So you have no idea if you've met the budget. The whole budgeting thing is kind of a waste, you know?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Um,
0: and I will make this analogy too uh in thinking about the value of doing a budget and tracking your income and expenses as a person like imagine if you were going to like maybe invest in a company right and you're Mm -hmm. talking to someone and uh, they're trying to get you to give them some money for their company and you said to them or you know okay well like I don't know tell me like how much, how much revenue did you make last year? What were your expenses? What was you know your cost of goods sold? Like how much did your product cost to make? What was your margin on it? Give me some basics. And they were like, Well, we don't really track any of the finances because it's just as boring, you know? So like I can't, I don't know, but I can tell you that you are with a winner. You would be <laughs> like, What are you talking about, dude? Like, (laughs) how do you know if you're a winner if you don't pay attention to your finances? Well, that very same thing is completely true for your personal life too. If you don't track it and you don't know, then, you know, you're just leaving it up to chance as far as I'm concerned. And I don't want to invest in that kind of company. I don't invest in a company that leaves it up to chance.
1: Call me crazy. No, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you on that. And I I, I agree with the analogy that you made uh, with, uh, you know, exercise and uh, budgeting. Uh, I wrote an an article, I think, uh, some times back uh, that I call uh, financial fitness uh, checkup. Mm-hmm. it's all about all these budgeting what comes in what goes out and how to you know uh cut down your budget so i completely uh
0: your budget's uh, basically like your workout routine that you bring on the piece of paper to the gym and you're like okay. all right i gotta do like yeah. three sets of 10 of these <laughs> whatever <laughs> that's your yeah. budget but if you yeah. don't actually go to the gym it doesn't do anything for you. Yeah.
1: you don't know that stuff. Kind of- <laughs> So I saw that you've done a couple of um, real estate deals. I don't know if you've done, uh, yeah, you've done some residential and I see that you did um, commercial. Mm -hmm. Let me, me, I've done some residential uh, real estate uh, deal uh, myself. But are there different set of skill sets that's you know that are required for these two different types of uh, real estate investing, or are they just the same thing? Well,
0: yes and no. I mean, you know, ultimately, big picture, it's it's kind of a similar similar thing in that you're well, depending on what you're doing, but you know, in my case, it's like you're looking for a uh, a place that you can add value to, like so you know hope with, with residential, you might be looking something you can fix up and rent out. Mm-hmm. Uh, with commercial, if you want to make the most of the investment, often you want to do a value add or add value. So in our case, we looked for pretty uh, properties in rough shape, or they were, they were essentially warehouses that we converted into office. So we, you know, we bought them, we fixed them up, we changed their use, you know, from office to commercial and, or, or creative office space. I mean, from warehouse to creative office and, and that added value. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, you're, you're looking for property that you can improve, eventually rent, uh, make money on the rental cash flow, sell, make a profit, add value. Where commercial is different is that um, doing that, you know, doing the, the improvements and, and especially if you're going to do a change of use, there's just a lot more ins and outs with like permitting in the city and there's just a lot more requirements on commercial uh, that you just don't see in residential, you know, particularly like one basic example is an environmental inspection. You don't have to do that when you buy a, a residential property, when you buy a commercial building, you gotta do that. And that can open up a can of worms when you do a change of use, you know, with a commercial property, at least in Los Angeles, like you have to meet parking considerations. You have to meet, you know, traffic considerations you have to do even sometimes special studies in order to show that what those issues are going to be for your new building you know so it's just more stuff you got to do and know about so they're not the same in that sense but you know the big picture approach is basically the same you make money through positive cash flow and uh, long-term appreciation and amortization
1: Absolutely. So at the end of the day, it's all about you know the cash flow that you are going to be getting from this property. So that's uh, very important. I, I'm an engineer by background, and I saw that you had this uh, reverse retirement engineering uh, where you compare early retirement, uh, and I think these are the fire folks uh, mm-hmm. versus traditional retirement. What? What do you mean by that reverse retirement engineering? What does that really entail?
0: Well, it's not necessarily something different than quote unquote regular retirement, but I call it reverse engineer your retirement, meaning you kind of, a lot of people just like, we're all on our road to retirement. You know, I don't care what age you are, what you, when you think you're going to retire. If you, some people are like, "Ah, I'm going to work forever, you know, whatever you think retirement is coming for you. Uh, that's just a fact like either you're going to get tired and you're going to want to stop working or you're going to get so old that people will tell you, you can't come to work anymore. They're not interested in your services, <laughs> <laughs> except <laughs> for maybe at the home Depot, <laughs> which is where people, a lot of people I think work who didn't prepare for retirement and they need to work in their retirement. Yeah. Um, or they might just be lonely cause you, it gets boring, you know? Right. Um, yeah. but anyway, most people are kind of on this journey, but they've not prepared for it. Like they don't know where they're headed. They don't, and they don't know how they're getting. They just think I'm told I need to save 5% of my money between 5% and 15% of my money. If I can put it in a 401k, invest it in the market quote unquote, and it's going to work out, you know, that's it. And uh, unfortunately it's not that simple. Um, That's leaving it quite up to chance really. Mm-hmm. And so what I say is, and a lot of fire people, you know, kind of say is let's, let's get more serious about this. Number one, and and we reverse engineer it in the sense that we look at what our retirement is going to be or what we want it to be. We say to ourselves, how much is this is that going to cost me? Okay. <laughs> uh, on an annual basis, based on that, how much money do I actually need to save in order to like have my dream become a reality, mm-hmm. and then how much money do I like? You know, how much money do I need to totally save, collectively save, uh, and then once I know that number, like how much money do I need to save every year for how many years, and how much return on investment does that savings need to get in order to get me from where I am today to where I need to be thirty years from now in terms of a nest egg? So that's what I mean by reverse engineering. You start at the end and then you kind of figure out, okay, what's the roadmap going to be to get me there. I, I I make my destination. I decide what my destination is Mm -hmm. and then I create the roadmap in order to get there. And so I have a course, uh, called the financial independence roadmap. And essentially in that is, I explain to you exactly how you do all that. And I even provide my spreadsheets that I use to do it for myself, you know, where we map out like 30 years of savings and a certain percentage of return and figure out what if I, well, I'm going to send my kids to college. You got to add that in there, you know, all the ins and outs and what have yous. Um, I basically give you these spreadsheets so that you don't have to figure all that out. You just can look at them, pump in the numbers, and then go, okay. I get it now. I see what I need to do. And then you go, wow, I really need to start saving way more money than I'm currently saving. <laughs> it's what, what ends up happening at the end of that. Uh, uh-huh. You know, I think some people, frankly, it can be a little, oh, that just the results of that can be like, you know, just a little disheartening sometimes. Um, but I look at it as like, you know, it should be motivational. Like some people are like, I'm doing great. Actually turned out that I'm making enough and I'm saving enough. And, and now I know, and that's great. And then other people are like, okay, not only do I need to save more, but in order to save more, I need to make more.
1: Make more, yeah.
0: You know? um, and that obviously is not a, a, an easy fix, but therein lies the entrepreneurialism. Therein lies making yourself indispensable at work, You know, being proactive about getting raises. I mean, honestly, I... I'm probably hired, you know, over a hundred people over the course of my business ownership and had many of meeting, you know, and about raises and this and that. And there are some people that ask for raises every year. And there are some people that never ask for a raise and they, they will only, you know, they'll take what you'll give them essentially. Um, i frankly tried to value our team and and if people didn't ask for a raise in a long enough period of time i'd be like all right dude you you know you need a raise (laughs) raise." but at the same time i felt like some people that were asking every year i didn't always want to give it to them and i didn't necessarily even think they deserved it but they they were the squeaky wheel you know yeah and they would get raises before other people that maybe even worked harder or whatever. Now, is that fair or whatever? No, but like, that's the way life really works in reality. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta be your own advocate at your, Mm -hmm. at your job, but when you go in to be your advocate and ask for a 20% raise or a 30% raise, you got to go in there knowing that you are like the best employee, like you are indispensable. Like you don't, you know, you're not, just like because water cooler whiners or whatever you know what i mean like you are like if 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 i tell them i'm going to leave they're going to be scared and they're going <laughs> to really think about giving me what i want right, right. and they're going to think if they go to the competitor wow now that person's going to have this great employee and then i got to yeah. find a replacement blah, blah blah so you know you have to prepare for that by doing an awesome job um And, you know, I always worked in relatively small business settings, like companies with five to 50 people, and I found opportunities to do extra things that could make me stand out. Now, in a giant organization of 30,000 people or something like that, I don't always know what that extra, you know, effort would look like, you know, and where those opportunities are. But again, you got to be your own best, your your own advocate and making sure you identify the opportunities to allow you to shine and set yourself up for success and then be proactive when you go in and ask for those raises every year, you know?
1: Good. So uh, Joe, you rightly said is that uh, there are quite uh, a number of people out there that are somehow in the dark. They do not have the knowledge, the skills to, you know, plan their money. Uh, they don't often think about the retirement uh, thing we are discussing right now. And for people like that, they want to lean on, uh, maybe most of them, they may not even have enough resources to maybe hire a wealth manager. Mm-hmm. And as saw it depend on, you know, people like you and I, talking about money and, uh, for them, uh, I want them to know specifically what you do because I, they are going to be listening to this, uh, uh, episode and they want to, you know, reach out to you and learn from you and connect with you. Uh, how, does that process work if they want to connect with you to learn from you, maybe join one of your uh, uh, yeah, I mean, courses? And all I the- always
0: say to Pete, you know, in general, like managing your finances is, is so important that either you, you really got to take it seriously and do it, or you it's, it's so important that you could consider paying someone to do it for you uh, or somewhere in between. You could just pay someone to give you a hand every now and then. Or you can spend more time of your own and go to websites and read and whatever. So with my website, you can come to my website and I have tons of free information, you know, and everything that I would probably tell you if you paid me in a core, you know, or even took one of my courses, you probably could gather eventually from just reading like every article on my website. Maybe not even all of them, maybe like about 40 of them, I don't know. But obviously, that takes a lot of time. So, if you want to skip the line a little bit and get like a nice curated <laughs> uh, delivery of the information, well, I have a paid course for that, it, it, and I have a paid course in each pillar uh, of my three pillars of success, and that's like a couple hundred bucks. Uh, so that's something like a do-it-yourself with a little bit of a hand. And then I also offer hourly coaching, you know, for people who like don't want to pay someone like every month to just do it for them. Um, and they, or they can't afford that, obviously. Um, you could like do a coaching call like once every couple of months and just get guidance on how to set your stuff up, like how to set up Quicken, like how to do your budget, you know, uh, help with the roadmap, you know, and basically creating a plan. Uh, so that's like a less expensive way. And then, you know, i do my part-time work that i mentioned beyond my website is, is me working as a fractional cfo for mostly businesses but also some high income individuals where you know they have the means and the income but not the time to manage their finances and they pay me a monthly retainer to just do it all for them um and essentially i mean i i generally like pay for myself and i work with their CPA to find, you know, as many tax benefits as possible that that might apply to them. I'm not a CPA, uh, so I don't do their tax returns, but I'm like their CFO. So, you know, I talk to their C- CPA and or with them collectively and just like throw ideas out, spitball whatever, but also just helping them save helping them spend less where you know, easy easy wins are in their life that they just have not have had time to deal with. I mean, just even going through and getting rid of old monthly charges people have recurring on their credit card that for services they don't even use anymore. You know, it's like I could you know, save people a few, you know, a few hundred bucks a month doing that, but, um, but insurance, all these different things. So I usually, with my retainer services, essentially try to pay for myself and then some, So I think when you work with someone that knows what they're doing, you know, you very likely will save more than you spend uh, in the long run. But, you know, if you're obviously not a higher income person or a business owner, where you have a budget for these kinds of things, obviously you got to take more time and do it yourself, you know, and it's, I tell you what, though, if you just put the amount of time you spend in a week on social media, looking at meaningless stuff and comparing your life to other people's lives uh, that are probably out there faking their lives anyway, uh, (laughs) you could be seriously advancing your personal financial
1: situation. Okay. So, Joe, uh, as we are coming to the end of the show, uh, I want to learn from you and I want to hear from you uh One of the things that I do here is uh to share a successful strategy uh you know uh with my audience so that they can you know uh, adopt those strategies and mm-hmm. help uh themselves so mm-hmm. you've given us three pillars uh of success which is core but if you look at life entirely. How do you measure success or what is success to you?
0: I guess, you know, I would boil it down to choices, you know, because um, everybody's got their different version of what they like to spend their time doing and, and all that. But, uh, you know, money and being prepared financially basically gives you choices, you know, to, to be able to do Whatever it is that makes you happy, you know. I always say money can't buy success, uh, money can't buy happiness, but it can make the road there a lot less bumpy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> So, so that's kind of what I what I think of it. Having the ability to change things up, do what you want, work work eighty hours a week if you want. And but if you eventually don't want to, you know, not and have it not be stressful for you, you know. Um, Oh, obviously in your first 10, 20 years after schooling, you know, you're going to be working a lot, you know, I would mm-hmm. accept that. <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. So uh, finally, um, how can my audience, how can they find you? I know payloader.com. Uh, how about your social media handle? I know you have a Facebook group, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, do you want to give us Yeah,
0: a- you know, email? I always tell people just to email me. I'm a little bit old school, like, I post stuff on social media, but I don't like social media. I think it's a <laughs> time, frankly. So email me, joe at playlouder.com. If there is one place I'm kind of most active is LinkedIn, I guess. Okay. Um, but even there, you know, people will have messaged me like a month ago and then I'll be like, <laughs> oh God, I haven't really, I don't know. So my website uh, and email me is it. Okay. And play is the site. And, you know, for gen- the, the course that I think is like the one that most people sign up for, that is like probably the most general finance is the Financial Independence Roadmap. You can check that out. And okay. all the, everything I mentioned about preparing for your future is in there.
1: Okay. Awesome. Thank you very much, Joe. And Absolutely. We have come to the end of the show today. I hope you guys find this uh, beneficial. There are tons of information that Joe has shared with us. Uh, To connect with him, uh, please uh, check his website, www.payloader.com. Payloader.com, exactly. All right.
0: All right, Bola. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you having me on.
1: Thank you. Bye. Bye. This episode of Winner's Ways Podcast has come to a close. We hope you enjoy and learn something from today's show. Keep winning. <laughs>